fun? I'm glad that uh, you come out tonight. What an exciting night this is uh, as we officially installed Reverend Steve Woodard. Boy, I didn't think I'd ever say that. You know, I knew this guy back when he was a kid. And, uh, I'm, you know, he was very, very, uh, uh, just a great guy, you know, uh, just crazy, though. And uh, him and Austin Evers, I'll never forget them. They kind of breezed through our area there in, in uh, Ledger, and they did a tremendous job. And I just thought, wow, these guys are great. And, uh, but I never envisioned them being a pastor. And then when I heard that you had called him to come and pastor this church, I went, wow, God must have really done something in Steve's life. <laughs> so here you are at this great church. You know, every time I come here, something new's going on. So this is a new thing that's happening here. Is that Katie over there? Hi, Katie. How are you? You got your mom and dad with you, I hear. And they're missionaries to Uganda. Where Ghana? Okay, all right. I wasn't off too far, was I? <laughs> oh, great. Well, uh, so they've asked me to come preach tonight. And typically in one of these services, you're either preaching to the church, and somebody's going to do that, give a charge to the church. Or are you giving a charge to the new minister? And somebody's doing that. So I'm scratching my head going, well, what am I supposed to preach about? So I'm just going to preach tonight. And uh, maybe something will fit as we go through this service, okay? So if you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me, if you will, over to the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to be looking there in Acts chapter 11, if I'm right. <clears throat> And I want to tee off of an uh, article that was written by Ed Stetzer, and I think it's applicable to uh, the church here in, in Acts chapter 10, because what happens in Acts chapter 10 is really one of those pivotal moments in Christianity. And, uh, you know, as you really consider where the church is today, in some ways this is a pivotal moment for the church. Amen? It's a new day. God's got a new thing going on here. And uh, so who knows what's going to happen in the days ahead. And this is all so critically important and interesting and, and hopeful. And so we want to kind of look at that tonight just for a few moments. I think he said I had 15 minutes. All right? Are you going to wave at me when that time's up? or Okay. Knowing Roger, you will. So uh, Ed Stetcher wrote this wrote this uh, article, and uh, he says, can small be healthy? You know, that's, that was the name of the article. And uh, the whole point of it was about small churches. And can small churches be healthy? And, uh, you know, he starts off his thesis by talking about, well, you know, bigness. Is that just a, uh, a Western, you know, is that an American thing, or is that really something that the church, you know, needs to be about? And is bigness really a great measure of success when it comes down to the local church, especially when it comes down to size? And so uh, his conclusion, in essence, was health is the goal, not the size. So when you look at health, you have to consider, is a small church healthy or is it not? 
and what is the qualifying factor to say this church is healthy or not. So that's one thing to look at. So most healthy organizations, most healthy organisms, if they're healthy, they are reproducing. Is that right? That means that they are multiplying, they're growing, and there's more of them. And so I would have to say that's one of the indicators of whether a small church is healthy or not. Are you growing? Are you reproducing? I think that's just the natural order of things. Amen? So that could be one of the qualifiers. Well, then another qualifier is, well, you can be growing, but is it a Christ-filled church? Can you sense the presence of Christ when you come into that church? Is it a church that is just seated in prayer and, uh, man, God's there, God's presence is there, and you know the presence of Christ is in that place? So I think that's another indicator, wouldn't you? Man, it's a praying church. It's a believing church. And so those are two qualifiers as we think about what a healthy church is all about. Then he goes on to talk about three questions, and I'm going to get to the text in just a second, but let's look at these three questions for just a second when it comes down to are we a healthy church or not. And this is interesting because I'm going as an interim pastor, and I just started a couple of Sundays ago. Sean Pillay has left, and, and man, I've got this exciting new church down there, and, and we're working through some of these things uh, down at the new church as well. And so here you guys coming out of an interim, and I'm going into one. You got a new pastor. I hope maybe Austin Evers will come to the church where I'm going to be next. <laughs> yeah, give, give Austin a call. See if we can get him back up here too. All right, here's the three questions. Number one, is my church small even when the community is lost and is growing around me? Is it okay for my church to be small even if the community and the lost are growing around it. Well, here I think there is no excuse. If a church is small in an environment, in a target-rich environment, of where there are many lost people around it, then we need to talk about what's going on here. Because we, we don't want to remain small if we got all kinds of people around us. Amen? Can I get amen out of you? Amen. All right. So, you know, I've been coming here long enough to know that, uh, you know, the history of the church, and I've seen the ups and downs, and I, I think this is the fourth pastor I've seen since I've been on staff at the BCNE. And so you got a, you got a winner here. you got a winner. This is a new day, a new opportunity. And so that question I think every church really needs to be ask, asking. You know, in a target-rich environment, are we reaching anybody? Are we really communicating the gospel to that generation, and to that community? That's a good question. Amen? I know every mature Christian here today is asking that question. Are we growing? Are we reproducing? Are we able to engage the culture? So that leads us to the second question, which is my church uh, staying small because we refuse to engage the culture. And so that's an interesting question because, you know, our culture is changing. I mean, I've been a Christian since uh, turned 21, and uh, I can tell you, this world, this culture is rapidly changing all around us. And it's, I mean, you guys are my age, you know, this is not the same world as it was when I was a child. It is totally different. And so what happens is, is as a small church or any church, 
we've got to adjust ourselves to the culture in which we live in because that's just what we have to do. It's important that we do that. It's not, not that we change the essentials of the gospel, but we certainly have to change the way that we approach the community. It's a whole different ballgame. People think totally different now than they used to. In fact, I heard of a survey the other day by George Barner where questions were asked for uh, people from the ages 14 to 20, questions about morality. There were six different options there. The bottom two were looking at pornography and I think uh, having sex outside of marriage. The top two, number one, was wasting water. And the second one was wasting electricity. Now, the question was, which of these is most morally wrong? And guess what that age bracket said? Wasting water and electricity. Those were the two most morally wrong things in that questionnaire. You know, you, know, you and I laugh about that, but really that's kind of the mindset that we're dealing with today. So we don't approach things the way that we used to. It's just a changing environment, changing culture, post-Christian in many ways. And so small churches have to understand that environment and adjust to it as well. And so changes have to be made. And uh, if we're going to you know, be a part of that community, with us, and I think that's important because really in this area right here, I think Nashville Baptist Church ought to own this area. I think that you ought to take possession of it. You have prayer walked this area. You know the people of this community. You are an intricate part of the fabric of the lives of this community. You can't think of this area of Nashua without thinking of Nashua Baptist Church. I think that's the way the church ought to approach the situation. Own the community that you live in. Amen? Then the third thing that you come through, the third question he brought up, I thought was great, is my church small because we love our fellowship more than the lost? Now that's a tough one because I want to be honest with you. I don't really like sinners that much. Do you? They don't think much of you either. I know. You know, you, you got your kids and stuff, and, and you're wanting them to raise them, and your grandkids. And you know, you, you're thinking, hey, i got to protect them from all this bad stuff that's out there. And you just, I, to be honest, many of us are like that. We, we, don't, we, we like the people at church good enough. But you know, that's why we go there, because those kind of people are easy to like. And I think that if we're honest, many times we've got to be honest about this and we've got to say, Lord, I don't love the woman at the well like you did. I don't love the drunkards, the drug addicts. I don't like the guy that's, that's watching the pornography and a lot of that's in the church. I don't like people like that. And I don't like hanging out with them. And it's sure hard for me to worry about their souls when I don't like them that much. Now that's a heart issue, amen? And if we're going to grow, then our hearts have to make a shift. And we have got to see people like Jesus sees them. 
Christ died for them just as much as he did for you and me. God loves those that are outside the church as much as he loves the people inside the church. Because back when I was 20 years old, I'd been one of those kind of guys you would have said, hey, I don't want you associating with my daughters or my sons, and I don't want you hanging out at my house. Most of you would have said that about me. But God in his mercy took this old sinful kid and saved him when he turned 21. And I'm thankful for that. I'm very thankful for it. Only God could have done that. God changed my life, though. And Christ has the ability to change the life of the most rotten sinner that you know of today. He can do that. But you've got to love them. You've got to share the gospel with them. You need to tell them about Jesus. And so if a church is going to grow, there's got to be a real heart change. That we love our community. We love the city that we live in. And we love the people that are there. Now, this has been an issue that the church has always had to deal with. And it goes right back to what this, the Bible's telling us here in chapter 10 of the, gospel, of the book of Acts. So if you want to go there with me for a minute, we'll take a look at that. And in this, you, you probably remember, so I'm not going to read the whole thing to you because it's actually pretty lengthy. And what happens here is you have this uh, centurion, his name is Cornelius, and you have this new faith that is emerging in Jerusalem, and it's primarily among the Jewish people. And, and in those days, I want you to know, the cultural taboos were powerful. And in those days, and now, nowadays, you know, they say you are what you eat. Well, in those days, it was, you are who you eat with. And so there just wasn't any sharing and breaking of bread with people who weren't Jewish, if you were Jewish. That was just a, a terrible taboo you never crossed. So you had this emerging faith, the risen Messiah had come, and now this Messiah has said that I'm just not a Messiah for the Jews, but I'm a Messiah for the whole world. And so this new emerging faith now has to come to this crossroads of will we reach across the culture and will we obey Christ in taking the gospel to the whole world. And so they're being tested. And there's an opportunity here. And, and, and God had to work a miracle, I think, to bring it about, but he did. That's the way God does. And, you know, we, we should never despise the day of small beginnings or of small insignificant things. So in this case, you have this centurion. He was a good man. He, you know, he did good things for the Jewish people. He prayed to Yahweh. He was a good man. He, he had a good reputation. And, and so he had a good referrals from other Jewish people around that area. But here he is praying one day. And God drops this vision on him. I don't know about you, but when somebody comes to me and says, I've had a vision, what's the first thing that you do? Huh? Yeah. You step back or you ask what? And you want them to repeat themselves. So anyway, visions are not, well, they probably may, maybe were more important that day than they are today. You know, because we see less and less Visions, in a sense. A vision is really important. And so Cornelius has this vision. 
And in the vision, God says, go find Simon Peter. That's what he says right here. He's praying, has the vision. He says, what is it, Lord? He says, your prayers, your acts of charity have come. Uh, it was a memorial offering for God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon. And so that's what he did. Now, that's important. Because if things are going to change, it's often going to be small things that God tells us that we need to adjust in order to be obedient. And so Cornelius had to do that. He heard, had heard a command. He said, all right, I'm going to do this. And he does just that. He tells him, go, go find him. And he told him, it says here, he told him everything he talked about. He explained everything to them, and he sent them off to Joppa. So at the same time, I think, you got Simon Peter over here, who is one of the apostles. And he's got this calling from God. And the, and the calling, you know, is to take the gospel everywhere. But he's Jewish. He's Jewish. He's, he's like you and me sometimes, in this sense. He's of this one culture that maybe doesn't like this other culture. You see what I'm saying? And so there's got, something's got to give here. And so what does God do? God gives him a vision too. And he says, this man's going to come to your house, and I want you to go with him. And sure enough, as he's up there praying, a vision comes to him as well. Of course, you know the picture of it. He drops his thing down from heaven and all this stuff. He said, get up and eat, kill and eat. And Peter, I can't do that. I'm Jewish. I can't do that. That's not what we do. And God says, no, I've made it all clean. And it happened three times. And Peter finally got it. What God has made clean, you must not call common. And so Peter gets it. And about that time, there they are, knocking on the door, deeply perplexed about these things in the vision. The men arrived, and they come, and they call out to Simon. And just to you know, hurry up the story, Simon gets up and goes. He's obedient. He does what God wants him to do. And so he goes to the home of Cornelius, and he steps inside of a Gentile home. That's something you just didn't do if you were Jewish. Here he is now. Not only is he in a Gentile home, but he's in the home of a hated Roman centurion. Get the picture? This was an awkward moment, probably, and it was not an easy moment. But Peter did it. And as Peter goes into this home, Cornelius tells him, Everything that God had shown to him. Peter, I believe, sensing the Holy Spirit, began to relate to them the message and the story of God. And when he gets to the part of Christ and the cross and the crucifixion, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon the whole group. And man, they see it. The guys that are with them see it. And they're going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. They're hearing the gospel, they're believing it. And God is giving evidence through the Holy Spirit that He is working right now. And they are in shock and awe as they see this thing happening. And after these guys, I mean, are gloriously saved, He says, now why shouldn't we baptize them? And that's exactly what He did. They baptized Cornelius and his household. All right. 
So, amen to all that, right? Amen, 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 amen? All right. You share the gospel, then make it different to who it's with. God has the power to save everybody. Well, guess what happens? Word gets back to the rest of the church, and they're not happy. So they call a committee meeting. Listen, this is not the way we do things. And they want a good excuse of why they did what they did. And so Peter comes and he presents himself in chapter 11. And he goes down through everything that happened. And he gets down to this point here, you know, where he's telling them all about it. And I love verse 18. Now look at that with me. Because this is, this is really it. This is the climax of everything I'm trying to tell you. He says, when they heard this, they became silent. When they heard it, they shut their mouths because they knew, they glorified God. They said, so God has granted repentance resulting in life to even the Gentiles. It was almost like, whoa, God's even saving them. God's even saving them. I can't believe not only them, but a hated Roman centurion. He's not only Gentile, but he's part of the oppressors. Whoa. Big shift there, amen? Now this is the exciting thing about what working with God. You step out on the small things. I know where God's going to lead you now, but I know this is a man of God. And I know that God's going to use him and work with you here. He, he's, he's, he's a next-gen kind of guy. I'm telling you, he's going to take you into avenues that maybe you didn't think you were going to go before. I believe that. I believe that, Steve. Now, don't let me down. <laughs> yeah. You've got a target-rich environment all around the church here. I want you to know the BCNE will do everything it can to help you with information, resources, whatever you need. But, oh, I want God to open up some doors here. And you're going to have to listen to the small things. You're going to have to step out on faith and go and do things maybe you haven't done before. And I want you to know that God will work mightily in the midst of an environment like that. You hear what I'm saying? So this was a tipping point for Christian faith right here. And what you do, what you do, may be a tipping point of whether this church is going to take a step forward and a step higher and a step bigger than it's ever been before. What you do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because right here, they could have said no. And you know what? It might have been another 40 years in the desert. You know, it may have been another long haul before God could have straightened that out. But they said yes. And the result was Christianity was spread throughout the Gentile world beginning because of this right here. So you never know what's going to happen because of this right here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for opportunities to serve you. I thank you for this church, Father. Lord God, this is a wonderful church. Great people. Lord, I love coming here. And Father, I, I love fellowshipping with the church. And Lord, I just 
I'm just blessed because I see the church just healthy. I'm praying and seeking your face and desiring your will to be done. And now, God, you have led Steve and Katie here. And, Lord, we're excited to see what you're going to be doing through them. And so, Lord, break through for them. Give them the vision. God, give them the direction they need to go in. And then, God, give them the faith to say amen. Amen. Let's do this for Jesus and for his glory. And we'll give you all the praise, for we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Pastor Steve, we are excited here. We're glad God brought you here. I'm going to bring the charge to the pastor right now. This seems a little backwards to me, but I'm going to bring the charge to the pastor right now. We're already excited because he's been in uh, to the uh, the deacons meeting the first time the other night. And uh, so far, uh, we haven't told him that uh, his kids are acting up because they haven't had a chance to be with Deacon's kids long. So so they, they'll, be, they'll be really bad here soon. As you know, you, you've been in Christian ministry long enough, Pastor, to know that it's both a great joy and a great responsibility. May your first priority always be to follow Christ as he leads you. Follow your heart after him. Jesus called the 12 to be with him. But first of all, he did that even before sending him out to do anything else. So spend time. First of all, I'd say you have to find time every day to renew with the Lord your relationship. Nothing's more tragic than a man that tries to tell other people about Christ who hasn't updated his relationship. First, I charge you to know the truth. I love a man that's a continual learner. And boy, I tell you, you've already laid out, he's laid out, all of you saw, that he's laid out his reading uh, plan for this year, and uh, he's putting pressure on us to follow him with it. So, so So you're in the book club, Nashville Baptist Church. Okay, so I'll tell you, I charge you to know the truth. As Paul instructed Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So I see that that's the kind of guy you are. I don't know you as deeply as I hope to, and I'm looking forward to that. But I see already that you like to know First, the word, and then everything that helps you uh, make that word more easily distributed among us. One of your problems will be to uh, give yourself as needed. At the same time, keep from wearing yourself completely out and exhausting. So I say, nurse your own soul on the habits that you've already shown us you have. Nourish yourself on the word of God. 
and you'll continue to find the resources to feed us. I further charge you to preach the truth. I love your preaching style already, and uh, I think you're going to just look us in the eye and tell us what the Lord told you to say. Uh, through the message, of, though that the message of the cross is foolishness uh, to those who are perishing. Yet, as Bruce just said, God's well pleased to the foolishness of message preached to save any of those who would believe. In this day, when uh, many try to make the truth look like error, and error is widely accepted as a truth, you just preach the word of God as it is in Christ and let God take care of the spirit doing the work of changing minds. A major right that you will have to stand in this pulpit is to answer the heart cry of all of us who are assembled here each time. You'll have something to say to us and that right is also a privilege and a responsibility. Preach clearly, and we've seen that, so that people can understand, preach in love, that they'll be united, and they'll be willing to follow where the Lord is leading you. Finally, I charge you to live the truth. Keep your personal character blameless. Lay the law of kindness on your heart. Be ready always to have a good word and a strong arm. Be a servant, not a master. Persuasion works much, much better than force anyway. Lead by your example, and we already see a lot of that. Always worry about our pastors overworking themselves. Make time for your wife and your children. They're going to need you, and you need them. There are times when you're working so hard and you see all these exciting things you want to get done that the very most sacred work you can do is rest a little in between. I hope you'll do that. See God's larger service as well as that in your own field. You see who are uh, here tonight. We've got great friends all over the convention. You started that long ago. And uh, friendships, uh, God gives us those as sacred gifts, and they are. I hope that uh, you will never be jealous of, your, of those who are in other places of ministry around I hope that uh, you will support them in everything that they do. In the words of Paul, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, approve, exhort, rebuke, with great patience and instruction, but a time will come when some of us won't endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have our ears tickle, we accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with the changes quick if you ever see any of that so jump on us because there's always that unregenerative heart 
that wants to turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. Hold us to it. Be sober in all things. Endure hardships when they come. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your calling. My brother, may your life's work honestly honor Jesus Christ so that at the end you may hear him say, well done. Will you commit to God in this party to know the truth, to preach the truth, and to live the truth in your pastor here? It's going to be a good ride. Now I want to go. Hello. Hello. I like that accent. So my charge is to you, the congregation. Unfortunately, I think they gave me the longest script to read here. So bear with me. No, I'm just kidding. There's a lot of good stuff here. Um, so this is uh, my words that I'm going to read as I am now saying to you, the congregation. And at the end, I'm going to ask you to affirm these words in terms of our commitment to Stephen and Katie and the ministry that they have um, uh, agreed to serve here at Nashville Baptist. There are a few words that can express my excitement, except that the pastor search committee is now over. <laughs> For the celebration that we're here tonight for this installation. This is a day full of hope for the future. You have discerned in Stephen, you as the congregation, as we went through this process, the gifts of preaching and teaching, and have called him to serve among and with you. In the congregational tradition, it is the body of Christ, all of us together, that blesses this installation of his ministry. No bishop examines or consecrates this time. It is the Spirit of God through the witnessing of the congregation that declares the joyful discernment and the call of Stephen as our minister, as our pastor. Your presence here today, tonight, here in this church, is a vital expression of our faith and commitment in the partnership that we have with Stephen and Katie. But after all the sacred celebration ends, then what? This day is not just about Stephen. It's about all of you and how you will partner with Stephen to do God's work here at National Baptist Church. No successful, transformative, healthy ministry is ever, one, is ever a one-person show. It's, it's never about the pastor. If a church and pastor are to form a partnership that is strong and enduring, you must honor each other as Christ has already honored you and this congregation. You are all in this together. Given this, I charge you as God's gathered people here at Nashville Baptist Church with these things. First, as your years with Stephen, our years here with Stephen unfold, we should expect change. This is because the Spirit still broods over us. Christ still walks among us, and God still walks within us. As your relationship unfolds, time will continue to work these changes because all authentic ministry changes us. Expect to be comforted 
by this as your minister establishes the bonds of affection and service with you, but also challenged and and confronted as well. Secondly, remember that you are all called together here as the body of Christ calls for great purpose. Stephen is not a proxy for our work. He's not a one-man show. God doesn't need another fan club. He needs workers in the vineyard. As Paul reminds us in Ephesians, there's one body and one spirit, and each of us was given Christian gifts. Some would be apostles, some would be prophets, some evangelists, some of us, or some would be pastors, not us, I'm not going to be a pastor, sorry. Um, No, we don't know that for sure. But some were called as pastors and teacher, and for not for personal glorification, but for the saints that would be equipped to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. This world and this part of the world needs to know that God's love and grace is through each of you. This is a partnership of the people, this congregation of this church and our pastor on behalf of the almighty and merciful God. You, this congregation, we're embarking on holy work. Third, honor Stephen's ministry. While this is a partnership, this is a peculiar setting apart that happens when you grant a minister the privilege to be in your pulpit, and he commits to this ministry before a trusting, a yearning congregation, a ministry that can be lonely and often there's little to go on to know if you're making a difference. A pastor is more, like, is more likely to hear the vocal complainers than the quiet supporters, and under enormous pressure to wade into conflict with wisdom beyond human capability when it gets personal. So we as a congregation, let's honor his ministry and pray for him. Contact him. He's an electronic guy. He has an email address. He has text. Make the contacts. Make the phone calls. Make the contacts with encouragement. Thank him for being a preacher and for being our pastor and a prophet in our midst. Honor him by challenging him, asking for, for clarification, and sharing your viewpoint. Be full and real and honest in your support of his ministry. The Apostle Paul frequently, frequently began his letters with wonderful words of thanksgiving, as here in his letter to the Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you, not just occasionally, but every time. Constantly praying in joy in every one of my prayers for all of you, constantly and for everyone. Because of your sharing of the gospel from the first day until now, Paul goes on to say, I am confident of this, that the one who has begun a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think of this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart for all of you share in Christ's grace with me. Philippians 1, 3 through 7. Indeed, today affirms once again that all of you are in God's grace and we're partners in sharing of the gospel. With joy and thanksgiving and prayer, God's good work will manifest among us. 
you give thanks to each other, honor each other, and remember that God has called you to this time and place for a reason. May you perceive this with excitement and hope that, the only, that only the Spirit can give, and may years together be marked with great faithfulness, and may God bless us while we serve here at National Baptist Church. If you believe the words that I have just said in terms of our commitment to Stephen, will we as a congregation say we will? Thank you. I'm fixing to turn the keys of the kingdom over to him. I can't do that, really. Yeah. I really, you know, this is just a, in some ways a formality, but it is important. And I want you to know, brother, that we we got you back. Appreciate it. And uh, Baptist Convention of New England just behind you all the way. And we affirm God's blessing on you and your calling. So let me pray for you. Yeah. Father God, thank you so much for Brother Stephen and Katie. And Lord, I do pray, Lord, that God, everything he needs to live godly in Christ Jesus, you'll provide. And God, every moment that he's uh, seeking your will, seeking a word from you, seeking direction, Father, I pray in Jesus' name he'll pray it through. And God, that you'll reveal your plan and your will and your word, God, to this pastor as he shepherds uh, the church here at, at Nashua. And Father, I pray that you'll give him strength as he bears on his hearts the souls of all the members of this church and the souls of this community. And Lord, I pray that you'll just give him supernatural strength, Lord God, to bear it well. Because it'll be dark sometimes, Lord, it'll be joyful at other times. Lord, the life of a pastor is sweet and it's bitter. And Father, I pray for him that God, his walk here will be sweet. And God, that you'll give him many souls for his labors. And God, he'll lead the church triumphant uh, in this generation in this time. And so bless him his ministry, his family, and this church. We thank you for his presence, and, your, and God, we thank you for your blessing on his life. And now, Lord God, use him for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. Amen. Am I supposed to talk now? Is that how that works? I'm allowed to talk now? I thought I was in charge here. No. No, it's okay. I am, I am humbled that you would seek to honor me when I haven't deserved it. I am intimidated that you would declare your trust in me when I haven't earned it. I'm excited to hit the ground running. Let's go. The promise I can make you, I will never earn the honor. I will do my best to earn the trust. And while God allows me to be here, you have my word that we will not make any attempt to build a small kingdom for ourselves. But we will run headlong and dive as deeply as we can into a service and a joy that is found in a kingdom to come. And so if you're in, I'm in.
is there anything else we got to do, or can we go eat? What do I have to do to dismiss this? You're the guy with the program. The program is over? Now let's go eat. Valley 